0: And this is Jesus speaking. He says, At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple desecrate the day and yet are innocent? I tell you that that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you had a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from their place. Many followed him, and he healed all their sick, warning them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will, pro- will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out, no one will hear his voice in the streets, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Until he leads justice to the victory. In this in this name in his name the nations will put their hope. Thanks, Carl.
1: Well, welcome uh, everyone. It's uh, great uh, to see you all. It's, uh, I was so excited yesterday, can I just say before uh, we get into it, to see uh, so many people helping out uh, in the neighbourhood. Uh, it was great to see a whole range of people. It was great to see Finn there uh, with his, you know, uh, helping out and uh, lots of others as well. Uh, so, so, thank you to everybody who did that. Well, uh, let me start uh, this morning by asking a question. Uh, and that question is, uh, who here is tired? Is anyone here tired? Put up your hand if you're tired. There's a few people
0: tired
1: of what? who's be- oh. <laughs> uh, tired of living. No, I don't know. <laughs> Get busy dying. Um, uh, who, who's been tired this week? Has anyone been tired this week? Yeah. I can remember a time when I wasn't tired. Can you remember that? I remember. Uh, I think it was around high school where you could just do anything, right? You could do anything, go anywhere, stay up however late you wanted and you'd never be tired. And then I remember getting into university uh, and it just, it just didn't work. After a while <laughs> you'd, you'd stay up and you'd you know three, pull three o'clock finishing off an assignment uh, and you'd be hammered for, for another couple of days. Well, you'd think that, uh, that Jesus... Words then will be good news, uh, wouldn't they, for, uh, for for many of us? When he says here uh, at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 11, "Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and burden and my burden is light." But what does that, what does that actually mean? Uh, is Jesus saying that he's providing rest for those of us who are exhausted by the treadmill of life? Uh, You know, every day it seems there's kind of relentless monotony. Uh, Wake up, get the kids up, uh, get ready for school, get ready for work, get breakfast ready, eat breakfast, clean up from breakfast, go to work, work, go to school, do schoolwork, eat lunch, do more work, come home, get dinner ready, clean up from dinner, get the kids ready for bed, go to bed, wake up the next morning. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about rest from the kind of relentless monotony of life? Is Jesus talking about rest from working for your salvation? That's that's how this passage is most commonly taken. Jesus is uh, providing rest from the Pharisees, from their uh, huge list of rules that they had? Uh, Is Jesus providing rest from legalism? Well, to be honest, I'm not sure if that's what it is, if that's what Jesus is talking about. Uh, I'm not sure if he's talking about either of those directly. Is Jesus talking about rest in terms of a kind of existential peace, you know, a kind of a feeling of calm? Is that what he's uh, saying? Uh, that he provides rest for the anxious, for people who worry, for people who worry about salvation and about judgement and eternity. What does Jesus mean by you will find rest for your souls? Well, as ever, uh, the Old Testament provides a really useful place to go to, to understand what Jesus is saying because Jesus isn't just turning up, remember, he's turning up and speaking the gospel is uh, the great message about who He is. He's speaking that message out of the context uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, turn back with me to, uh, to Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. So Jeremiah is, I don't know, about two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament. Through the Bible, I should say. So, let me read from from Jeremiah chapter 6 from verse 11. He says there, But I am full of the wrath of the Lord and I cannot hold it in. Pour it out on the children in the streets. And on the young men gathered together. Both husband and wife will be caught in it and the old, those weighed down with years. Their houses will be turned over to others together with their fields and their wives when I stretch out my hand against those who live in the land, declares the Lord. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practise deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Do you see what's going on in Jeremiah, at least in broad brushstroke, is that God is full of wrath against his own people. That's how it begins. I'm full of wrath. I can't hold it in. But then in verse 16, there's that invitation. Stand at the crossroads and ask for the ancient paths. Ask for the good way and you will find rest for your souls. There's those words that Jesus picks up on in uh, Matthew chapter 11. Jeremiah offers the people a rest, rest for their souls. Why were they tired though? They were tired because of the judgement of God. The judgement of God had come on the people because of their relentless disobedience. God had saved them, he'd rescued them from Egypt and what had they done? They'd continued to reject him and so God had brought judgement and discipline on the people uh, and they were tired from the wrath of God. Here's the picture. Uh, The people in Jeremiah's day are at this crossroads and there's two ways to go. There's judgement or there's peace. Which way are they going to go? Down the road of judgement and the retribution and the wrath of God or are they going to go down the way of peace? Jesus is setting before uh, the, the people in his day and he's setting before us that very same stark decision between judgement and peace. Uh, if you were here last week uh, you might remember uh, what Jesus said at the end of the, the section that we looked at, it turned back to Matthew chapter eleven. You might remember these blistering woes that uh, that Jesus unleashed. So Matthew eleven, uh, verse twenty-one. Woe to you, Chorazin. These are towns in Jesus' day. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgement than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day but I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom in the day of judgement than for you. Do you remember uh, what it was like for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't know if you know the uh, story in the Old Testament but because of their sin, fire and sulphur rained down uh, from heaven. Genesis says that when Lot looked back on the city, smoke rose from it like smoke uh, billowing out of a furnace. It's hard to imagine how terrifying it must have been. I don't know if anyone saw in uh, the news this week there was a fire tornado in Queensland. Did anyone see that? The fire was so hot that it turned into this spiralling kind of tornado reaching 30 metres into the sky. It would be terrifying. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, ever been near a bushfire but I think of uh, some of the terrible bushfires that have ravaged our country in the last five or ten years. The horror. Every time uh, I go into, every time someone has a bonfire, you know, I'm always amazed by how hot it is. And, and really, they're not that big, are they? You know, no matter how long you, I you know, as long as you, you, know, you might bring all this wood from everywhere, they're still, you know, like what? Maybe that big or something, you know, maybe as big as kind of to the front row or something. It's not that big, really. And it's blisteringly hot, you know, you can't get within, you know, trying to fry the marshmallows or you know, and you, <laughs> you know, and you singe your eyebrows. But imagine a whole city aflame, right? Under the judgment of God. Imagine the heat. Can you imagine? I can't imagine what that would be like. I can't imagine how painful and horrible it would be to be burned alive. But here's the scary thing. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel that it will be worse for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah on the Day of Judgment than it was that day when fire and and sulphur rained down from heaven and it will be even worse on the last day for those of us who have heard the message about Jesus and who have rejected it. It will be worse for us who have heard that greater, had that greater gift of the message of salvation and turned aside. Just as uh, every good gift in this world is a kind of foretaste of the goodness of God in eternity, uh, in fellowship with him, so every blight in this world, every, every pain in this world is a, is a foretaste of the misery of hell and of judgement. Every, uh, every bodily ailment, every tragic loss, every psychological disorder, every natural disaster, every bitter division, every relationship breakdown, all those things rolled together, multiplied millions and millions of times over and you come close to the pain and the tragedy and the horror of eternity without God. I don't think uh, there's any greater tragedy in all the world, is there? It's a, it's a, it's a desperate tragedy when people lose their lives uh, in a natural disaster. It's a great eternal tragedy when people lose their lives and fail to accept the message about Jesus Christ. Listen to these words about hell from the end, of Isaiah to, uh, the end of Isaiah. And they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. Their worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Someone told me once that when the Jews read uh, through the book of Isaiah, that's the last verse in Isaiah. When the Jews read uh, the, the last verse in Isaiah, they skip back again and pick up a happier verse to finish on because they can't quite bring themselves to finish with that vision of the darkness and the horror and the tragedy of hell. Jesus calls hell a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, It's an awful place. But here is the great miracle as well. There's a second option. The people of Jeremiah's day were standing at a crossroads and the people of Jesus' day were at a crossroads as well. Jesus gives the people who would come to him a message of peace, not peace or rest from pharisaical legalism as though that was our biggest problem in life, that people try and make us obey lots of different rules, as though that was the biggest thing that fatigued us and tired tired us out. No, the thing which tires us out is the curse of sin and the wrath of God and the anger of God against all mankind. Think about some of the great statements in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. Why comfort? Because their sin has been paid for. Their hard service is over. The hard service of God's judgement. And wrath is over. Isaiah 43, fear not when you walk through the waters. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'll be with you. Even though it's hard... Judgment is coming, wrath is coming, but you'll be okay. Jesus has already begun to uh, initiate that comfort and that peace in his healing ministry. He'd begun to turn back the anger of God against sin as people were healed from the curse of sin from blindness and sickness and disease. Now the great miracle of the Gospel is not that we can find rest from the busyness of life or that we can find rest from rules and legalism. The great miracle of the Gospel is that we can find rest from the wrath and the judgement of God. That's our greatest need and that's the great miracle that Jesus brings about, peace and rest and reconciliation with God. So there's the choice, there's the crossroads, judgement and peace but what's, what are the two roads? What, uh, what shape do those two roads have? Which is the road that leads to judgement and which is the road that leads to peace? Peace. Well, Jesus is pretty explicit uh, about that uh, and he says that the way to peace is him. Uh, he says to the crowds, doesn't he, come to me, I will give you rest, follow me, take my yoke upon you, learn from me and you'll find rest for your souls. That uh, Jesus' claim is then played out in his conflict with the Pharisees at the beginning of chapter 12. So there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of little scenarios, but Jesus and his disciples in the first one are wandering through the fields, uh, and they decide to pick some grain and to eat it. it seems a fairly harmless kind of thing, uh, but the Pharisees accuse the disciples of breaking the Sabbath law. Now the Sabbath law, as you uh, might know, specified that people were to rest uh, on the seventh day of the week, uh, to rest from their normal work. So. The disciples weren't actually breaking that law, right? They, they, it wasn't their normal work to wander through the fields to frolic, as you were through the fields and, and, and pick grain. That wasn't their normal work. They were just uh, getting something to eat along the way. The Pharisees were being uh, nitpicky, but Jesus, instead of saying, "Oh, you're just being, uh, you know, old, you know, fusspots," he chooses to address their objection in a slightly different way. He uses uh, two examples to, ad- to address their objection and the first is something that David did back in 1 Samuel 21. In 1 Samuel 21, David is running away from uh, King Saul uh, and he's a band of men with him. Saul is trying to, to kill him. Uh, and David and his companions go to the priest Ahimelech uh, and ask for food, but Ahimelech says, "Look, the only food that we've got is the consecrated bread, which was laid out in the tabernacle, uh, and it was it was bread that only uh, could be eaten by the priests." Uh, and David says, "Well, you know, give me some of that bread uh, anyway." And uh, so Ahimelech does, and David and his companions eat the bread. Uh, and Jesus is saying that uh, if it was lawful for David to do that, if it was lawful for David to eat that sacred bread, uh, kind of in conflict with the law, then it must be okay for his disciples to eat uh, grain when they're with him. You see, the point doesn't seem to be that anybody, if anybody had rocked up at the, uh, at the priest and him and said, look, I'm looking for some bread, do you have any bread? Uh, it wouldn't have been okay, but it was the fact that it was the king, it was the chosen king who turned up, and needed food and he and his companions ate because of his status, because of his position. And Jesus is saying, if it was okay for God's King David to eat that special bread, then it must be okay for God's King me and my followers to pick a little bit of grain and eat it as we're walking through the fields. The second example that Jesus gives Uh, is of the priests who in the time of Jesus uh, and before served in the temple. And Jesus makes the point, the rather obvious point, that they broke the Sabbath law every Sabbath because on the Sabbath they had to offer two sacrifices and they had to switch over that consecrated bread. So every every Sabbath the 12 loaves of bread had to be uh, replaced Uh, and so they had to do this work. That was their normal work and they had to do it. What's the point that Jesus is making? Well, Jesus again quotes from the Old Testament uh, and this time from Hosea chapter 6. And in Hosea 6, the people are again under the judgement of God, they're under the wrath of God and again, it's because their religion is worthless. Uh, They do all kinds of religious stuff, they do all the ceremonies but it's all empty Uh, and then in Hosea 6, God gets to the heart of the problem. And he says this, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. What's important, you see, is not the sacrifices, uh, it's not the intricacies of the law. What's important is knowing God. And here's the thing, God stood before them, before the Pharisees and they couldn't see it. That's the point. Here was God come in the flesh. And they're worried about whether the disciples are eating grain on the Sabbath. Isaiah 6 suggests that what's at stake is not mercy per se, so much as acknowledging Jesus. The key is that the King has come. When it comes to a contest between the sanctity of bread in the temple and feeding God's anointed King, God's King wins out. When it comes to a contest for the priests between uh, the day of rest and a day of service to God in the temple, God wins out. In the same way when it comes to picking grain and not picking grain or following Jesus and not following Jesus, Jesus wins every time. When it comes to a contest between uh, honouring God, uh, sorry, honouring a day or bowing down before the King of Heaven and Earth, Jesus wins out every time. Jesus says to the Pharisees, don't you know the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath? (laughs) Don't you get it? That's what he's saying. I'm God. I'm the Son of God. What is the way to rest? The way, says Jesus, is Jesus himself, is to see him for who he is, the Son of God, God's Messiah. The way is not, first of all, for us to follow Jesus. The way is. Jesus. Don Carson uh, wrote a poem a number of years ago and it goes like this. He writes, this is Jesus speaking, I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path, to blaze a trail that you may simply follow in my tracks, pursue my shadow like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the sum of all he is and does. So how can you, the sons of night, look on me and construe my way as just the road for you to run? My path takes in Gethsemane, the cross, and stark rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Each other path is dismal swamp or fraud, I stand alone. I am the way to God. You see, the disciples had realised that Jesus was the way and the Pharisees hadn't. And we need to realise that Jesus is the way. We need to come to Jesus and to put all our sins in his hands. We need to own up to him, to our rebellion and our rejection of him and all the years that we've resisted him and fought against him. We need to put all our hope for the future in his hands. We need to put the direction of our life in his hands. We need to put our dreams and our aspirations and our greatest hopes in his hands. And when we do that here's the miracle. The miracle is that we find peace with God and not wrath. Not just a feeling of peace, though that comes as well, but objective peace. God is no longer against us, but for us. Horatius Boner wrote in that unparalleled hymn, I don't know if you know it, Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. And the question is, well, if that can't save us, what can? And he goes on. Your voice alone, O Lord, can speak to me of grace. Your power alone, O Son of God, can all my sin erase. No other work but yours, no other blood will do. No strength save that which is divine can bear me safely through. Jesus says to us, come to me. That's the only way. Only way to find rest. Come to me. To those who are worn out by the prospect of judgment, to those who are worn out by the effects of sin in a sinful world, to all those who want peace with God, Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. Well, it's one of the great invitations in the Bible, isn't it? It's one of the great invitations in the Gospel. It's maybe some of the greatest words ever spoken in the entire world. And yet the great shock is in this chapter how that is dealt with by the Pharisees. The great tragedy is that despite that great invitation, the Pharisees are set on trapping Jesus and so we come to the second of these two Sabbath controversies uh, in verse 9. The Pharisees, uh, Jesus comes to the, uh, the synagogue and the a man there with a shriveled hand. The Pharisees, it says, are looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus' answer is, basically, of course it is. <laughs> basically. Of course it is how stupid it is to think that it's not right to do good on the the Sabbath. But the point is that their hearts were so hard, their hearts were so opposed to Jesus that even when Jesus heals that man, they go out and plot how they can kill him. Verse 14, the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Jesus heals a man and they're determined, so determined not to submit to him that they devise a way to kill him. You see, the whole point of this, this chapter, of this section, is to show that the way to peace and rest and freedom from the wrath of God is Jesus Christ, but the great error the Pharisees made was to reject Jesus. They set out to kill him. They thought that their religious practice was enough. They thought that what they'd done was sufficient and what they hadn't realised is that they were so busy thinking about what they had to do that they had forgotten to think about God. They'd forgotten that what they needed more than anything else was the mercy of God and the kindness of God. And so God stood before them and they rejected him. That same hardness of heart was on display in Jeremiah's day. I don't know if you realise when we read from Jeremiah 6, do you remember how it ended? God said, here is the way. Uh, Ask for the ancient paths and you'll find rest for your souls. And it ends, but you said, we will not walk in it. We will not go that way. Pharisees said the same thing to Jesus. We don't want to go your way. We don't like it. I don't know how many conversations you've ever had with people where they've said things like that. I still remember uh, the horror, really, isn't it? The horror of those conversations with friends or family or people that you've met. Where basically you've shared the gospel with them, and it's come down at the end of the day to something like this. I'd rather go to hell than believe in Jesus. It's terrible, isn't it? Jesus says later in Matthew's gospel, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have I would have gathered you under my arms like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. You wonder what else you could say, don't you? but come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. You wonder where the offence is, where the objection might be when there's such a gracious and a loving saviour, a saviour who gave his own life to save us from the wrath of God. Maybe you're in that situation of rejecting Jesus. Maybe you understand who Jesus is. You understand perfectly But you're not willing to submit to him or trust him. Perhaps you resent him. Maybe you resent his claims and his call for obedience. You resent his mercy and his kindness. How could you resent mercy and kindness? Because it shows up your own lack of mercy and lack of kindness. But if that's you, if you resent Jesus, then please don't choose judgment over mercy. It's not too late. Uh, It's not too late. This is a day of grace and a day of opportunity. In the last verses of this chapter, make that absolutely plain. Uh, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are seeking to put him to death and so what does he do? Does he smite them on the spot? No, he withdraws and many go with him and many find healing and many find help. And Matthew quotes that wonderful verse from Isaiah 42, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed and a smoking flax he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. Judgment is coming. We can be sure of that. But this is a day of grace and of mercy and of patience. If you come to Jesus as a humble and repentant sinner, he will receive you. If you come to him as a a broken reed, a reed that's good for nothing, a reed that's fit only to be tossed out and to be thrown on the heap, even if you come as a broken reed, he will not break you and throw you away. He'll save you. If you come as a smouldering wick, the signs of life almost snuffed out. He won't throw you away. He'll rescue you and save you and restore you. He'll teach you his ways and lead you in his ways and lead you in a life of humble service and adoration of God. Well, if you don't know Christ and if you, don't, if you haven't submitted to him, then please let me plead with you to do that, to confess your sins to Jesus and to trust in him. Can you see that crossroads that stands before the whole world? Those two paths, one road, a road of self-pursuit and self-fulfillment, a road that ends in judgment and the wrath of God, and another road, a road of submission and love of the Son of God, and a road that leads to peace and righteousness. Down that other road is not just heaven, down that other road is not just the fellowship of God's people, But at the end of that other road is Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. At the end of that road is Jesus Christ our Lord. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, the truth and the power of these realities are so much beyond what words can say. Lord, even if Jesus himself was standing here and appealing to us in person, and begging us to come to Him. Lord, we fear that still so many of us would resist. Lord, our hearts are so hard and resistant. And our love for ourselves is so powerful. Our disinterest in you is so great that we would still reject him were it not for your grace. Father, we ask that by your Holy Spirit you would open our eyes and our hearts to hear the wonderful love of your Son for sinners, and for those who are tired and worn out from living under your judgment and your wrath. Lord, help us to come to Jesus with empty hands, as broken reeds and smoking wicks. Lord, help us to come and to find peace and rest and reconciliation with you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.